Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Lauren Tan. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Really excited to be here. I am an engineer on the uh, React Data team at Facebook, and previously, I was an engineering manager at Netflix. Awesome. Yeah, really, really good uh, positions that I think a lot of our audience uh, would be interested to hear a little bit more out of uh, just because of being such leaders in the space. I think when we first met, you were you were at Netflix and uh, you came and spoke at JSLA about uh, TypeScript and your experience with that. Um, I think, I think uh, something that a lot of uh, junior developers, actually developers of any level uh, deal with is how to evaluate technologies, uh, you know, which ones are promising, and and you know resisting some urge to to just chase everything that's new and shiny. Um, what what was it that made you want to give a talk about TypeScript? Like like back when you know you wanted to give a talk at JSLA. Like what what went into wanting to give that talk, and and what what were the motivations, or what did you want people to get out of that? Yeah, I remember that talk pretty well. It was really fun going to that uh, meetup. It was my first time at the JSLA meetup. And a lot of the motivation behind talking about TypeScript specifically was, um, and Netflix at the time, we were really interested in adopting it more broadly. Um, A couple of teams had already started adopting TypeScript, uh, but it wasn't really widespread. So internally, I started a TypeScript meetup. Uh, which slowly grew pretty popular. And hmm. um, in the talk, I kind of talked about like some of the things that we did to you know, support other teams that were interested in adopting TypeScript um, and just general things that we cared about, which led us to choose TypeScript. So to kind of address the first part of your question, um, which was really like how to evaluate technologies such as TypeScript, I think it's really helpful, or like, at least in my perspective, to think about not just the technology um, and code implications of choosing that technology, but also the cultural and the organizational concerns that uh, may arise from using that technology. And I think this is where a lot of uh, maybe more uh, engineers who don't have a lot of experience tend to focus um, a lot on just the pure technical aspects of that technology, whether it's TypeScript or something else. And um, they may not consider some of the other concerns that come about as well. So like one simple example might be, yes, you know, TypeScript, you know, provides you type safety and I won't go into like all, uh, all the details <laughs> here because you can make that decision on your own. But even if you did want to encourage more teams in your company to use TypeScript, you'd also have to consider the cultural implications of, you know, do uh, does it actually benefit the company, the business that uh, that you work at? to adopt TypeScript? And if so, how do you communicate that with other teams? How do you get them to buy into this? And you know, what about things like support, like uh, platform teams or infrastructure teams have to now support TypeScript, uh, you know, like for example, infrastructure, like how do you run the TypeScript compiler um, in, in, in certain cases? Um, so I think for me generally, I try to think of it, of decisions like this holistically. There's obviously the technological part, which is the thing that as engineers, we tend to gravitate towards. 
but I try not to forget about all of the other stuff too, like, you know, people, mm-hmm. uh, organizational, what are the business goals? Like, is this actually going to cause us to rewrite the entire app? Like, can we <laughs> afford to do that? Um, there's all these other concerns, which I think is the, um, a really key part of growing more senior in your um, career is starting to think about more than just the code. So um, that's what I would encourage. Um, if you're considering whether it's TypeScript or something else, like if you're considering adopting something new, ask yourself, like, what are some of those concerns that maybe you haven't spent a lot of time thinking about yet? Yeah, I think there's a really, really lot of good stuff there. But even even in the beginning, I had no idea. Did you did you say that you started an internal meetup for TypeScript? Yeah, I did. Um, so a very long time ago, when I first started at Netflix, I was already pretty interested in TypeScript. I think this was in 2016. Um, but I noticed like pretty much nobody or very few teams within the company were was using it. So um, it really just all started as a Slack channel. Like I just created TypeScript, the Slack channel, and started inviting people who were in the JavaScript Slack channel to come and just talk about TypeScript. Um, and slowly conversations happened, and um, eventually we, we got to a point where there was a bit of a critical mass of people in the Slack channel that it, start, it occurred to me like we probably need a, a place where we can actually get more momentum around TypeScript and uh, get more adoption in other teams. And so I thought maybe it'd be interesting to have an internal meetup uh, just for employees, just for people who are interested maybe in adopting or already using it to share their experiences um, about using TypeScript. And um, we did our first meetup, um, which was pretty successful. And then we, yeah, we uh, we continued having a few more internally on, up until I, I left Netflix. I don't know if they're still doing it now. Hopefully it's the, it's still being continued. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that there were a lot of really great discussions that happened as a result of the, those meetups. We had lots of great presentations as well from, um, again, like teams who were either adopting or considering adopting TypeScript. Um, and that in turn helped a lot of other teams who were uh, maybe also considering TypeScript or on the fence to make decisions um, and I think it also really helped the infrastructure teams to start thinking like, oh, you know, here's a critical mass of mm. teams that are adopting TypeScript. So maybe we need to adjust our roadmaps to also take that into account um, and maybe start adding types to our internal libraries and, and tools so that these teams can um, uh, use our tools with with that type safety. Wow. Uh, I can't tell you how much I love uh, that hearing that, that you... The, the way that you organize that. So is that something like, I mean, is that something that you had to ask for permission for? Like, oh, I want to create this Slack channel. Like, am I allowed to do this? Or like, you had to ask permission to create an internal meetup? Or is that something that you were just like, no, this needs to happen. I'm just going to do it. Uh, fortunately, so I can't speak for all companies, but at, at, certainly at Netflix, there was a, a lot of encouragement for freedom and responsibility. So I didn't have to get any permission. I just thought, here's a here's a gap that I see in our community. And um, when I started the Slack channel, I had certainly no intentions that it would ever grow this, like however large it was. I think a couple hundred people were in the meetup eventually. Um, so none of it was like planned, like there was no grand plan. It was mm-hmm. just, it just happened very organically. Um, but it all started just because I, I saw this gap and um, I wanted to start gathering gathering people around it. 
I think that was really the critical element because, you know, again, no matter how good TypeScript was, if there wasn't <laughs> this mass of people within the company, uh, then it would be very hard to see a situation where, you know, teams would want to start adopting um, and for, for infrastructure teams to start supporting. So it's a bit of like a chicken and egg problem. Like if you don't have good tools that, for example, give you types, um, then there's less of a desire to switch to TypeScript because like, mm -hmm. you're not really gaining that much benefit. Um, but if you did, then um, that's like more reason to adopt. So um, I feel like with, with problems like these, there's no really good way around it, but just to start and, you know, so we get that, get people interested um, having those conversations and then things will start moving from there. Yeah. Uh, a couple of the themes that have, have come up on this show over time, uh, one of them is that your seniority, you know, just in that junior to senior, I guess, title of the show, like you, your seniority is often correlated to the effect that you have outside of just yourself. Um, the idea that you, you are improving things for your teammates or other teams or, you know, the company as a whole. And um, part of the reason why I just love what you did so much um, is that this seems to be, you know, the, that type of activity where you're, you're looking outside yourself to how you can um, improve things for, for the rest of the company and other teams. You did it in such a, I guess, you know, you didn't have the grand plan from the beginning. You did it in a very incremental, organic way that I think is available to most people, regardless of where they are on their career path. I think if they if they recognize a gap the way that you did, there's nothing that stops them from organizing people to to get people to to share their learnings and um, put things together. And it doesn't doesn't require a lot of, I mean, it certainly helps to have technical expertise um, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of experience with a particular technology. It helps, but it's not required to, to put people together. It's more uh, leadership, more social, um, more facilitating. And I think, I think that's really cool to see like such a great example of that. Um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. So, um, as a as a manager uh, at Netflix, um, what what other aspects or like what aspects did you look for like when you were bringing people on to a team or when when working with your team? Like what what were those aspects that you liked looking out for? So this is like a um, a really great question because I think the thing with hiring in the software engineering. Um, I guess industry is that there there are different approaches to interviewing and evaluating people. Um, you know, like famously, like some of the bigger tech companies have uh, very rigorous processes, and which may or may not include a gauntlet of uh, you know interviews that resemble questions that you might see on an, uh, a website like Lead Code or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, with very computer science heavy um, questions. Um, which I think has its place. Um, I don't think it necessarily works for all levels of engineers. Uh, there may be a certain time in someone's career where maybe that's the, the type of question that you need to ask to ascertain their ability to do the work that you need them to do. 
but there's all this other stuff like which we've been talking about you know the what is commonly known as soft skills i don't really like calling them soft skills to be honest like, i think they're more like core skills is what i mm, is what i call them I like that um and those are really subjective and i'll be honest like as a manager it was it was not like there was any formula to finding people who fit that um that bill of uh you know what we what we were looking for so a lot of it came down to to trying to ask really good questions during the interview that go beyond just the technical so uh, in some ways you can think of the um and I, again i can't speak for like all companies but this, this was my like experience in my about two years of being a manager is you know like there's obviously the technical uh parts of the interview that form sort of the baseline like this is the this is the rough approximation of this person's technical capability. Um, it's a very loose way of measuring someone's um, abilities. Like, you know, there's the interview with the technical interview is a very artificial process. So, you know, how realistic is it um, mm. to say like, oh, you know, this person solved this problem in 15 minutes really quickly and therefore they can solve all other problems quickly. That's not really true. Um <laughs> So it's really more of like uh, if you understand that it's 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 not like a it's not like there's some rigorous formula that can tell you exactly whether or not this person um, will be successful at the company. Um, but again, like it comes down to just asking uh, you know questions that go beyond those technical um, things just to to see like how does someone deal with uncertainty? How do they deal with um, stakeholders such as designers, program uh, product managers, other engineers. You know, are they good teammates? Do they empower others on their team? Are they sponsors for people who are maybe more junior than them? Mm. I think every manager has like a different approach to like what kinds of questions they ask. Um, but generally, for the most part, I think for me, the the thing I was looking at really was around this um, this notion of can this person be a good teammate and basically make other people on the team more productive? And I tried really hard to not just look at tenure because I think that's a very easy mm -hmm. trap to fall into, especially if you're just like reviewing resumes. It's, you just go through resumes and be like, oh, this person has 20 years of experience, so therefore they must be good. <laughs> um, maybe there's some you know, correlation there, but that's not necessarily causation. So I've, I've, it's maybe not very common, but you've, I've sometimes see people who don't have a lot of experience actually exhibit a lot of the senior um, skill set that I tend to look for in, mm -hmm. a, in a team member, which was really interesting. And, um, uh, you know, being a manager at Netflix meant that I was given a lot of autonomy to kind of decide who, uh, who the right kind of profile I needed for my team. And there were times where I decided, you know what, I'm just going to have a conversation with this person. Maybe they don't have a ton of experience on paper. But I want to talk to them and just understand how they approach solving problems, how they are work, approach working together with other team members. Um, and if they at least can pass our baseline for the technical skills that we are looking for, then it was worth a conversation to be had. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of these core skills don't necessarily have to don't necessarily have to be acquired just from, you know, having 10 years of experience, I think. You could be a junior today, just in terms of like paper experience, but you could already be exhibiting some of these very these qualities that are associated with senior engineers, and I think that's a really great thing because 
um, as you sort of uh, mentioned earlier during the about how I kind of approach the you know gathering this critical mass of people talking about TypeScript. A lot of these leadership and core skills don't necessarily involve very deep technical skills, mm-hmm. um, and so you can kind of develop them side by side. Um, and I think that's actually a really great and a great way to kind of think about your career. Like, how do you grow both of those sets of skills, and not just focus too deeply into purely technical skills? Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Um, I think one of one of the very early episodes on the show, I had Zeno uh, Rocha on, and uh, he just made this point that's always stuck with me: is that you you can be a junior developer or see yourself as a junior developer, and 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 do a, a lot of senior developer actions and behaviors. Like there's nothing stopping you from having good communication um, and showing up on time to meetings and being proactive, asking questions and uh, learning a lot, learning about the business. Like none of those things require years of experience with a particular technology. Um, but they make a huge difference in how you're perceived in the company, how you interact with people, just like how how good of a teammate you are. Um, and so I think that's that's really important. I want to go back to what you're talking about with um, interviews and concentrating on you know the technical uh, questions. I think a lot of this stuff, like I, and and I love uh, you calling them core skills. I think I'm definitely going to uh, hold on to that one. Yep. But yeah, the like the core skills and the text. Uh, the technical skills are kind of like left and right shoes. Like you kind of need both of them. Um, and yeah, a lot of companies uh, like Fang companies are really uh, known for asking, like you said, like the leak code questions or, you know, the questions that you'd see in a book, like cracking the, the coding interview. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, I think a lot of those companies have good reasons for it. Um, I think other companies might, might look to the fangs and and say like oh well if it works for them you know that that will work for us but generally i i don't think that's like a good idea i mean i think famously in i think it was like 2015 max howell the uh the person who wrote uh homebrew so the package you know the package manager for for mac that's wildly popular um used by you know god knows how many people uh really what i would call very successful software it it saves people a ton of time, makes their their lives easier, uh, just generally does what it's supposed to do. He, uh, he had this tweet where uh, he got rejected from Google where he he made it sound like he got rejected because he couldn't invert a binary tree. So he didn't he didn't have a computer science background, even though he was a very talented uh, software engineer in the sense that he could he could make uh, software that people really liked to use. Google wasn't interested in him because he he didn't have some of those technical fundamentals and i think i think it's important for i think a lot of um uh listeners to to recognize that i'm gonna side with max on on that you know of course i don't have all of the answers maybe he was very prickly to work with and he just wouldn't have been a good member of the team but just just deciding between whether or not you can build software that's useful for a lot of people or if you have like theoretical, you know, 
computer science trivia down cold to the point that you can invert binary trees or solve hard logic puzzles. Um, I'm just going to think it's always more valuable to just be able to create software that that makes people's lives better. Um, in in your view, Lauren, I think I can't remember if you have a computer science background, but how how valuable do you think that that is? Like, if if we have any listeners that don't have one, how in what ways is that going to disadvantage them? In what ways is that not going to be a problem? What do you think? Yeah, so I, uh, well, I, I really love this question. I have so many, so many thoughts about this. <laughs> um, so I don't have a computer science degree. I did finance in college. Uh, funny story. I actually started programming in high school, but um, I grew up, and I grew up in Singapore, so there really wasn't a lot of talk or really excitement about the technique, the programming IT mm-hmm. industry. Um, you know, I think a lot of people at at the time when I was growing up maybe thought it was a bit of a, a dead end um and you know uh, the stereotype apply of uh you have to be either a doctor or a lawyer to be considered <laughs> successful in singapore where i grew up mm-hmm. so i was kind of steered away from that and i decided to do finance um, in college instead but my you know interest in programming had always uh been around uh, like when i started i the, literally the first thing i ever did was just learn html and learn how to use css and then javascript but my interest in programming came about from the exact things you said of building software that you know people loved. And that's so powerful, you know, the ability to just with a blank screen and a text editor, you can dream up these things that don't exist and turn that into something valuable that somebody can use. I think that's really incredible. And I wish the barriers to entry for learning how to do that is, would be much lower. Um, and I think... Yes, you know, some of these lead code type questions seem very convoluted. And yes, I mean, I guess the fan companies probably uh, consider them good ways to test for um, technical expertise, which is why they they use them. But I also say like, you know, not every company necessarily needs that level of, of, um, you know, depth into computer science. It really depends what the goal is. So one of the things I learned as a manager was, to really think about like, if I could only add one new person to my team, what are some of the things that I want them to do really, really well? Mm-hmm. And if I thought, you know, this person's going to build something, some really low level library that's going to be used um, in a really hot path in our code, then yes, maybe I would actually say, you know what, this algorithmic skills are actually important for that role. So I feel a bit conflicted about this because I think, you know, as someone without a computer science degree, um, I do feel, and I know a lot of other people in the industry who don't have computer science degrees, I feel like asking these types of questions can sometimes be a bit of a barrier to people like like us. But then there's also the type of problem where, you know, again, like you may just need someone who does, uh, who has a lot of knowledge of data structures and algorithms, algorithms because your core product requires that knowledge. Like if you're building like, I don't know, something on the blockchain or something, or again, like something low level, <laughs> then yes, you're probably going to need someone who knows that. So I think what I'm trying to say is as someone who is, you know, has influence over the hiring pipeline, especially if you're listening, I would really encourage you just to just think about not just copying what the, the you know, the Googles or the Facebooks are doing, but just really think about what kind of person do you really need for your team to be successful. And then tailoring your, your interview questions and your hiring pipeline to that profile that you need. And then you can 
you know, find the, 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 the right people that you need for your team. And also in the, at the same time, you're actually creating a much better experience, uh, interviewing experience for that person because you're asking the questions that they would actually be using in their job. Um, you know, I think it's a lot of people who've done that Fang style interview often joke like, oh, I had to do, you know, like I cry, write a red black tree or something on the whiteboard. But then my actual day job is just fixing <laughs> HTML and CSS bugs. Um, so there's a bit of a mismatch there. I think the problem really is when people copy what other big companies do without really thinking about whether or not their job requires it, um, which I think is the real problem. I don't mm-hmm. think it's bad to ask for computer science knowledge as long as, you know, again, the job calls for it. And as someone who didn't have a computer science background and had to study for my interview at Facebook, um, it, was, it was a little bit funny I think like, you know, I, I've been working in tech for like almost a decade and I still had to study for an interview. Um, <laughs> but I tried to look at it from a positive point of view and think about it in the sense of like, oh, how can I actually use this information in the future? Since I have to study for it anyway, I might as well think about how I can uh, you know, use this information later on. And what I realized is there are a lot of core pieces of computer science knowledge that I really didn't have before. But when I started looking at it more intently, I started realizing, oh, here are all the potential. I could could start thinking about all the applications of, you know, things, data structures like trees and graphs and the Mm -hmm. the, the various algorithms that are associated with those data structures. And funnily enough, now in my job, I actually get to use a lot of these Mm. data structures and algorithms because I work on like lower level types of thing problems now. I don't really build like UIs. I, I work on the libraries that power those UIs. Yeah. So again, I think going back to what I was saying, I think it just really comes down to knowing what skills are necessary for that role to be successful and then tailoring your interview process around that. And Correct. if you're interviewing, yeah, I would do the same thing. Like, you know, if you're interviewing for an infra- UI infrastructure role, then maybe you do need to brush up on your computer science knowledge because there are times where that type of thing will, the type of knowledge will come in, uh, very useful. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really good answer. And and, and um, it, you know, what I'm hearing is that uh, for any listener who doesn't have a computer science background, um, that's just kind of a signal to to keep in mind the, the roles that you're you're going to be looking at. And while you certainly can't control whether or not a company is going to gonna you know ask you a fang style whiteboarding question um you you can certainly help yourself by just looking more closely at roles that that align to to your your skills your knowledge right yeah so if it's a lower level platform position uh algorithms uh, and data structures become more important and as you get farther away from that lower level and you get more to to application user um, user-focused uh, code, you probably don't don't need to worry that, that you're you're missing that as much. Um, so I, th- I think that's that's a great thing to keep in mind. Uh, you know, I know personally. So so for me, at Superstruct, do a ton of ton of hiring, ton of uh, evaluating, interview type type deals, and our process is completely. Uh, away from the Fang thing, it's always figure out what types of things are on the product roadmap, build toy challenges uh, that 
represent those types of skills and then do you know paid paid um paid challenges than just evaluate evaluate those things so i'm i'm definitely on the on the other other side of that um yeah and and so uh i'd be curious like can you share a little bit about what you you know i think a lot of people listening would be interested in applying to facebook uh or um or netflix i mean netflix do you is there any kind of advice that 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 you have for how to prepare for an interview like that? Or like, is there anything from your experience moving from Netflix to Facebook that, that you think would be useful for people to know how you handle that? So, um, the, I mean, the, the common thing between Facebook and Netflix is they're both really large um, Silicon Valley based companies. So the types of questions they're interested in tend to be from that angle. Um, so in terms of preparation, I think this one's a really hard one. Um, well, not really hard one. It's it's kind of weird because a lot of the the interview process for for Fang type companies are actually pretty easy to just look up online. Like they're, I think most companies tend to be pretty open about. Maybe obviously not like they're not going to give you the exact question mm-hmm. they'll ask you, but they give you a lot of like preparatory material just to look at. Um, and yeah, they, they do tend to focus on like some of the, the fundamentals. Um, I think part of it is because a lot of these types of companies also have very um, strong college hiring pipelines. Mm. And generally, if you're if you're like a computer science student fresh out of college, you probably have like no real world experience to really talk about. Right. And so right. Um, you sometimes just, OK, like, let me just ask you questions about computer science then, because that's like a, a good baseline that you should have having done a computer science degree. So I can see where that originated. And I, again, I can see where that's um, useful. And also like depending on the the, the role that you're applying for. Um, but I would say like for me personally, when I did, when I started looking at um, interviewing outside of, of Facebook for an engineering role, because at the time I was a manager and I had frankly gotten a bit tired or not tired, I guess, um, maybe I just wasn't enjoying the job. Um, mm-hmm. as much as I was when I was an engineer. So at the end of two years, I decided I've had enough. I'm going to, I want to go back to be <laughs> an engineer and I'm going to look both internally and externally just to cover, you know, the, my bases and get a sense I love of that you did that, there. by the way. I think, I think a lot of people would have just stuck with it and <laughs> never really tried to, to, yeah, to, to make a move to make themselves happy. So I, I love that you did that. Yeah. Funnily enough, I think, the I mean it, it probably wasn't the the main source of inspiration, but you know Netflix is pretty fam- uh, famous for this show by um, this Japanese author. Her name is Marie Kondo, and I think she had a show on Netflix called something about sparking. I can't remember the the, the name of her show, but it's something about sparking joy. Mm-hmm. And she has this famous saying like, "If it doesn't spark joy, then get rid of it." Mm-hmm. And that line stuck with me a lot because I realized, you know what job doesn't spark joy for me so why am i why why put myself through this agony and just keep doing it right like something had to change Mm -hmm. and so i started looking externally i started preparing for interviews um so my interestingly for me i was very fortunate because going from engineering from engineer to manager allowed me to for that the two years i was a manager to really strengthen and flex those core skills i was talking about Mm -hmm. communication leadership influence without authority a lot of those skills i really strengthened as a manager and 
what that meant is like during the interview preparation, I didn't have to focus as much on the core skill mm-hmm. type questions because I felt very comfortable having been an interviewer uh, for like so many candidates that I had a good sense of the kinds of questions that would come up. And I had, um, it was easy for me to come up with good answers uh, for those types of questions from my experience as an engineer and also as a manager. So I felt pretty comfortable with that. In fact, so like, my interview pro- uh, preparation process was mostly on the technical side because, again, I don't have a computer science background and I just wanted to make sure I had the basics uh, mm-hmm. down so that I could do a good job on the technical portions of the interview and also communicate like what I was doing and why I was doing something, uh, which is also like another way to show off those core skills. Um, even during a technical panel, you can ask really great questions um, and just, again, like show... Um, your ability to work with the interviewer. Um, I think that's really important. That that was my rough process for um, preparing. So I don't know if there's a lot of information in there, um, (laughs) but I think, again, like these types of big fan companies, the interview process is pretty standard. There's going to be technical interview questions, system design questions, behavioral questions. And if you can, if you follow some guides online, I think for the most part, they will give you a really good um, head start into preparing for these types of interviews. Nice. Um, looking forward, like looking towards the future, um, what types of things uh, or technologies? Like, what are you what are you excited about? Like, what do you what do you see coming over the horizon that that you mm-hmm. want to get more into? And yeah. So, I'm definitely a little biased being on the React Data team. But I do. I am very excited about um, something we, we announced last December, which is React Server Components. Having used them for a while now uh, within Facebook, I think they are really interesting in the sense that I think a lot of people who first hear about React Server Components and they watch our video, they think like, oh, are you just reinventing PHP or <laughs> JSF or .NET in, in, in React? And I guess on a very shallow, if you're just like, a very shallow surface just evaluating server components and it's easy to, to walk away with that with that takeaway but it's also missing the, the the point about technology as a meta as a meta thing which is every technology every piece of technology is a remix of something that existed mm-hmm. before but done better right so i think it's important to like when you evaluate like, this is like going back to your original question like when you evaluate some new piece of technology don't just discount it immediately if you see if you pattern match it with something that you've seen before because it's easy to assume that maybe the author didn't reconsider those uh, prior art but maybe they did and maybe they have a different take on how to solve the problems that those previous technologies did so I'm personally really excited about server components because I think for a very long time especially in UI uh, web UI um, development we have this conflicting tension between building great user experiences um, on client on the client like on as a, in a browser client mm-hmm. but also this tension of shipping a lot of JavaScript that takes a long time to download especially if you don't have a great uh, network or if you don't have a very powerful device especially if you are not in North America you may not have access to an expensive iPhone for example mm-hmm. um, and I think Server components give you this really interesting lever to decide, do I want to evaluate these components on the server where 
you know, it has quick access to the data that this component needs without shipping this code to the client? Or do I actually need the interactivity of a client component? Therefore, I need to ship it to the client. And the mm -hmm. net effect is you get this really interesting split between like static components, if you will, that render only on the server and then these highly interactive mm -hmm. client components. And what that usually means for like a proper application is you ship way less JavaScript to the client. And that's really exciting to me because um, it's been kind of the thorn, I guess, if you will, of, of front-end UI development for a very long time. Uh, the naysayers of single-page applications always talk about <laughs> how much JavaScript you ship to, um, <laughs> to uh, the, the clients that, don't again, don't have great network conditions or don't have the CPU or memory required to run these applications. So now we have this lever where you can choose whether or not your your more powerful server can, can run that component or does it actually need to be on the client. So I'm definitely a little bit biased there, but I'm really excited about this. I mean, you're also very qualified to talk about it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> also putting your money where your mouth is, but you know, like that's actually what you're working on. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that that definitely addresses a very I mean, it's been a it's been a hot issue for a long time in the JavaScript world. I've very much sidestepped that particular issue. I've never been one on the like stop sending so much JavaScript to the client, partly because most of what I work on by a large margin is B2B um, SaaS apps where, you know, I it, it, our clients are just, you know, they're running this in a business context. Like we're not, we're not trying to really like, they're going to have it open the entire day. And so if it takes, you know, a, a little bit longer for the first load, um, it doesn't really matter because they're just going to have it open for hours and loading reports that take multiple seconds to load anyway and all this other stuff. But for a ton of other uses, this is massively important. So I think it's, mm -hmm. I think it's great that you're, you're solving a very real issue for people. Um, Lauren, this has been great. Where can people find out more about you and your projects? So the best place to find out, uh, to learn more about uh, both server components and myself, I guess, would be on Twitter. My Twitter handle is sugarpirate with an underscore at the end. Uh, I was not very lucky uh, <laughs> when I created my Twitter account. So there's an underscore, sugarpirate underscore. Um, but that's probably the best place to keep up uh, just like for things. I, I tend to tweet about uh, I guess a lot about React stuff, but I also have been trying to tweet more about general leadership things, getting, mm, perfect. Uh, growing your career and becoming more senior. Um, so if that's the kind of content that you're interested in, then uh, um, maybe follow maybe follow me and, and, and you can see some of that content. Uh, and I, I think it's a good it chance <laughs> our listeners are, are interested in that. So definitely we will put a link to that in the show notes as well. Mm -hmm. um, Perfect. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, David. It was really fun to be here. All right, folks, that's it. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior. <laughs>